All right, hello and welcome to your first episode in 2024 of the Board Game Triangle. I am one of your hosts, Sarah, and I'm joined here by my co-hosts. Uh, hi guys, this is Ken. And it's your favorite alienator, Tim. Alright, Tim is obviously referencing that in season one or the 2023 i've already said season one. we've oh my got gosh. see we've got a season now oh man oh uh, yeah so in our last series of episodes tim did some alienating so hopefully we're gonna mm-hmm. make a new year's mm-hmm. resolution to avoid doing that no 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 see my new year's resolution is to have no audience members by the end of the year i mean i figure with as big a gap <laughs> as we've had since the last episode that that is probably already the case i mean <laughs> people i mean i people, then people, i'm people successful already you if, See? If, if you're quiet for a couple of weeks, uh, people forget about you. That's why uh, <laughs> I, I think I think I think we're just making this for ourselves today. You know, well, yeah. See, this is why you got to start off with a New Year's re- resolution. You know, you can accomplish. See, I started with one I already knew I had accomplished. So uh, success. there you go. Tim's just gaming the system here. He's mm-hmm. he's he's in a new level of the matrix. Um, so that that's a little bit about who we are. Um, <laughs> Well, before we jump into our main topic, today we're going to be talking about a really cool concept of game complexity and just a discussion of, you know, how much is too much complexity and is there such a thing as a game that's too simple, that it's boring and all things in between. So, but before we jump into that, I want to just like, you know, check in. It's been a few weeks since we've recorded. So how's everybody doing? Ken, you want to get us started? Uh, sure. Um, yeah, definitely. Um, been uh, had had uh, uh, you know wrapped up the year pretty uh, pretty smoothly. Um, I think uh, the biggest things I have on the uh, the horizon at this point would be uh, probably be uh, running a uh, Dungeons and Dragons campaign for uh, Sarah and a couple other friends. Uh, so I've been uh, doing a lot of planning and thinking for that. I cannot wait. How many pe- how many people do you got for it? I'm so excited. Nope. Uh, I'm. It's gonna be. It's actually a little bit bit of a big group for Dungeons and Dragons combat wise. I'm gonna have six players uh, total here. Um, so uh, Sarah and one other friend of mine that uh, I know pretty well, and then uh, uh, four people of which I uh, uh, have barely met and uh, and interacted with. So I was one of one of those people actually when I was talking about uh, my uh, my love of Dungeons and Dragons and, and running games. Uh, I was uh, commenting on the fact that she needed another game in her life, and so from barely meeting her until to uh, Planning to be running a uh, a game for her and, and three of her friends. I you know, then pulled in uh, Sarah and my friend Kevin. will be playing as well, and we'll be uh, be doing a, a Curse of Strahd vampire uh, setting thing. So very exciting. Man, that's that's a hell of a hell of a swoop. Oh in. yeah. So. And these people all seem like they're very well versed in D and D. So I'm a little intimidated because I've only played like one campaign with some friends online, and all of us were new. So I've already expressed oh, okay, so- my insecurities. <laughs> Can you actually suck at D&D? So D&D does have rule sets and things that you can understand the rules for. And we'll be talking about just regular game complexities and things here uh, for our, 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 our topic. But um, you definitely can not know the rules of D&D. And depending on what kind of groups you're playing with, um, you know, that can be more or less of a problem. I, I would really assure you, Sarah, that I don't think it's going to be a problem with this table. Um, there's also the element that uh, depending on how a game master is running the, the game, you mm-hmm. can have a lot of tactical complexities, and uh, you can have combat scenarios where if people don't play really optimally, um, characters die. 
And so uh, if you're doing that kind of thing, it, it can vary. I, I would say that this particular campaign, uh, Curse of Strahd, is, is a lot more narratively heavy. Um, it does have some some really uh, challenging com- uh, encounters and things, though. So uh, we'll see how things go. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think this is going to be a really fun campaign group uh, of people. And so far, people have been really excited about uh, coming up with backstories of really tortured, twisted characters. Uh, you know, normally, you know, Curse of Strahd, you kind of uh, have people come in, happy-go-lucky, and, uh, and the setting <laughs> turns them... Uh, you know, twists their lives. Uh, uh, some of the backstories on these characters, uh, not not a whole lot I'm going to have to do as a game master to uh, make them have tortured uh, nightmares of, uh, of sleeping uh, arrangements. But This uh, campaign will get you fucked up mentally. Yep, yep. <laughs> I mean, I'm probably the most vanilla of the group, and I'm an Oath of Vengeance paladin, so... <laughs> You know. Oh, that just your everyday run-of-the-mill, ah, I'm just seeking vengeance uh, around every turn, every corner. I mean, yeah. One of the other characters is, you know, talking about how her, her character's backstory was that she was taken in by religious order as a child who, uh, you know, ran things incredibly strictly and just has trauma and things from that. <laughs> oh, and, God. Uh, basically, uh, the character is, is, is already starting off with an evil bent because uh, they're, they're – uh, feelings about their religious uh, interactions and things with uh, you know, has been so traumatic to them uh, in the past. And, All right, so game uh, master slash therapist. Okay, <laughs> very good, very good. But um, yeah, so <laughs> all of that like people people are are, are buying uh, buying miniatures and buying custom dice for their characters, uh, which is definitely not a requirement. You, you are allowed to use the same set of dice for multiple characters in Dungeons and Dragons, but everybody, everybody seems to want to have. Uh, dedicated dice for this character that they're going out and buying. Uh, Sarah, Sarah went out and bought some dice. Yeah, so my dice are actually accidentally Christmas dice. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I went to Game Theory and they had them in the in like a glass case and they were white with red on them. And I was like, oh, Curse of Strahd vampires, white and red, that's going to be perfect. So I asked if I could like play with them a little bit. And the first time I rolled the D20, I realized two things at the same time. One... They were resin dice with Christmas trees and snowflakes on the inside that you couldn't oh, see cool. from the from the D twenty from the <laughs> side of the D twenty. But then also my first roll on it was a, a twenty, <laughs> so I immediately bought them. So my my oath of vengeance paladin has Christmas dice. Is that just a, is that just a rule with dice that if you happen to roll a twenty on them, you just have to buy them? I mean, I don't think it's universal, but Criti- critical critical purchase. I've never heard anybody else uh, raise that as a requirement before, but what Sarah it is said, now. I rolled a twenty, I had to buy the dice. I guess, yeah. Well, it is now official in the Board Game Triangle podcast. Uh, we have made an official mandate that if you listen to us and now you roll dice and they ever hit 20, you have to buy them. Yes, that means you buy them from your friend that you rolled the 20 on, okay? <laughs> so it's just going to be a back-and-forth exchange of people buying each other's dice. It's going to be great. It, it will stimulate the, the dice economy. So it is It is normally a, 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 a practice in role-playing things that you don't you don't roll other people's dice you don't borrow dice to play the game you do want to have your dice Ooh, and you don't okay. let people touch them because they can they can set the luck from oh, them man, they, they can make your, them your, yeah yeah they, 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 they can they can taint your dice they can you know use up your 20s uh, and then then there's no 20s left in those dice for you to use so yeah there, there, there's definitely a lot of a lot of dice superstitions that, that, that do circulate oh, uh, in the in the community See, this is, you know, this is why I don't get involved in those filthy RPGs, okay? I'm not going to try and keep up with this shit, okay? So what, what's, yeah. what's it going to take, Tim, uh, for, for us to get you into, uh, into a role-playing game uh, here? Uh, well, we, so we get, we... My, my, my rule, so first of all, we had that, that competition, right, that we talked about where if we get 10 people to respond to a post, well, now I'm suckered in. 
but my initial inclination was going to be starting off with, so Sarah's collected all the RPG board games, so I need to actually go and play one of them. She now has Gloomhaven, uh, Jaws of the Lion, and also has Too Many Bones, so both of those are highly, very critically Uh, acclaimed games. Don't forget I also have the very highly acclaimed Talisman. (laughs) Oh, oh, but of course, which... You know, if I really want to make sure I can make an excuse to never play any of them again, that'll be the first one I play. But <laughs> beyond that, <laughs> just see her face right Damn. now. Damn. <laughs> Sick burn. Uh, but beyond that, I'm really waiting to play either one of those to see how they sit. Because honestly, if those don't really hit me, I don't think a really open-ended D&D campaign is also going to strike my fancy so i, I don't i'm trying to remember do we actually say on uh, on the air uh, previously that that if you get uh 10 people responding to a post saying that okay. yeah that was on the air that, that was yeah yeah yeah. so so what we're going that if, if we have a like a, 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 an instagram post we get 10 responses or we get uh you know in discord 10 10 people specifically saying specifically uh, asking me to do it yes okay, okay i'm i'm gonna i forgot that we talked about that so I'm going to have to remember to do that, but I will do that sometime in the next couple weeks. Okay. So uh, definitely. So just be on the lookout. <laughs> yeah. Listeners, uh, we're, we're not sure yet if we're, you know, going to, you know, exactly how we're going to put out an appeal there or a vote, but uh, 10, 10 people. This is uh, your chance. That... If I've offended you to make me suffer. Okay. <laughs> this is I mean, your I will, Oh, we also have Return to Dark Tower, of course, which is also kind of lightly RPG. I think that one's fine, to be honest. I would probably enjoy that one. I think that that's, like, not RPG-ish enough for me to be like, so. Honestly, I I think you wouldn't have an issue with the RPG aspects of Too Many Bones. It's really not that I narratively. Like, that, yeah. That, Gloomhaven, Jaws of the Lion, there's a lot more storyline to yeah, it. Yeah, that's much more in that in that wavelength, for sure. For sure. And then uh, also recently, sir, you've been playing uh, Thousand Year Vampire. Yes, 1,000-year-old vampire. It's a, a single-player kind of narrative RPG where you are taking on... You basically create your own vampire, and you roll dice to figure out which prompts you're going to talk about for your vampire. And, like, you live a 1,000 years, and you, like, go through all of these experiences, and you have different memory experiences that go into memories, and then you have to forget some because you can only have, like, five memories at a time. It's really cool. It's a very Whoa, cool thing that Tim got... <laughs> That Tim got me for Christmas. So, <laughs> woo! And I, I just want to go on record right now as saying that I, I don't believe that it is ethical for vampires to date people under the age of thirty, because people in their in their in their teens and twenties are just have, have, don't little, under, little, don't know themselves baby well enough. Yeah. They don't they don't know they don't know who they are well enough. They're still finding their own personality. Mm-hmm. If you're thirty or over and you feel like you are willing to date an immortal being. I mean, I still don't know I would agree with that that judgment, but but you're you're mature enough as a person that if you choose to deal to date an immortal being after the age of thirty, go for it. Um, I mean, can aren't they supposed 20s, to abide by that one rule where you know it's like you know the half their age to plus seven or something like that? These poor vampires will never be able to date. Terrible. You, you can't. You, I mean, you can't. You can't expect Greek gods to to abide by <laughs> rules like that. They're just way too old. If if you're over thirty and you want to date an immortal being. You know, go for it. Now, I mean, oh. that, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't necessarily apply that to, you know, if you're going to do a, a, a one-night stand at a club or things like that, that's different. <laughs> but, but if you're actually going to get into an, an emotional romantic relationship, wait till you're over throwing down the vampire rules. I'm just saying, 
you know, yeah, yeah. I don't know. I don't know what's been going on in, in your thousand-year-old vampire's uh, romantic life, Sarah. But if if he's dating people under the age of thirty, I'm just I, asking I feel questions, like, man. I'm just saying, I feel like that's that's taking advantage of of, of, of mortals that don't have a, a full understanding of, of who they are and what they want in life. Okay, so Sarah, I I, I want to ask really quick because they they in the preamble of like that that book. They kind of say like, oh, there's going to be really mature situations and stuff like that. Some really dark things that might trigger you. Have you run into any of those where you're like, oh, oh, well, shit, that was that was dark. I was not expecting it to go that way. So I'm still very much a baby, baby vampire. I'm, I'm only like a couple baby prompts vampire. in. So it's mm. it's not it, it hasn't gotten that spicy yet. I think probably in the near future, I can feel it. We're going to have some like getting toward the end of the people that I know's life. Like, Ooh, okay. You know, like as a, like basically five prompts is usually about the lifespan of a person. Sometimes it doesn't really correlate like that. Like sometimes you jump decades or even centuries between prompts, but like they say generally within five prompts, the people the like mortals that, you know, die off. So we're getting, we're getting kind of close to that. I feel depressed just hearing that, like hearing that book. Yeah, and we're talking like it's going to be tons of prompts before the end. I might be willing to grant some leniency in my rule to you know immortal beings that are still within their first decade or two of life. Like if, if you, as an immortal being, are twenty and you want to date a human that's twenty, I mean it, it is problematic because you're going to vastly outlive that twenty-year-old mortal. But you are fairly young yourself. I think I people are tuned in now. They're like, "Did I? Am I listening to the right podcast?" <laughs> I'm saying, no, if wait. You're, if you're 400 years old and you're dating teenagers, there's a problem. I have got Edward. to redo. Okay, <laughs> in the book, in the book, they give you like some examples when they're trying to explain to you like what an experience is versus a memory, and like the experience. So, an experience is like one sentence that's usually like kind of a two sentence but it's connected by a semicolon so it's one sentence um and the sentence that they give you as an example is stalking the deserts over lonely years i watch generations of christian knights waste themselves on the swords of the sarsen it's a certainty that charles is among them i dream of his touch as i sleep beneath the burning sand (laughs) like what oh man wild who out there wants that wants that that vampire to date their brother or sister you know if you've watched you know christian knights die in, in the deserts you're you you have you have a life of experiences that just means you shouldn't be dating people in their teens and 20s sorry yeah. i'm just saying the all tutor- right we don't want to the, <laughs> the writing in the tutorial versus my writing it's very different I, I it's pretty evocative already just like listening to that it's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm I'm really enjoying it. Tim 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 again being attracted by role playing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, so okay, let, let let's go down that line a little bit, right? Because we played another game that had some narrative themes to it mm-hmm. a few days ago at my board game night. I recently got the Kickstarter game Unsettled. It's not yep. really a Kickstarter game at this point anymore because it was initially released that way. It was super well-reviewed, sold out everywhere, so they did a second round, and they also released a bunch of content. And the premise of the game is you're basically a bunch of explorers who went through a very aggressive wormhole that like sucks your, your spaceship in. You're on a ship with a bunch of scientists, and then it spits you out somewhere on a, on a random planet that you need to then figure out how to survive on. And I love how, as we start playing the game... 
um, I had to go look up the, uh, the how we got here thing because Tim was going to launch us straight into the current scenario. And I was like, wait, how do we get to this planet? Why are we what here? Are, What's yeah, our motivation? Why are we here? <laughs> We're here to play a game, guys. We're not here to like, ooh, story. Oh, narration. Oh, so I, this should have a point. He was going to launch. He was launching straight into the narrative. How? <laughs> oh yeah, you you come across this planet and and it, and it's covered with 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 goos and slimes and they're like you know I, I had to be the one to go find the the full rule set and and read the intro thing to say oh I yeah I thought the intro was gonna I thought like the the planet intro was gonna tell you how you got there. I thought that maybe there was like different like narrations behind each one. But anyways, the point yep. of this is there's it's a game that has mechanisms where the way that you facilitate moving your people around and how you use abilities and stuff like that, that is consistent across all the game yep. mechanisms. But then you can buy boxes of planets and every planet just is an entirely different ecosystem and how you navigate it is different. You'll run into different things where we were on a planet that had hallucinogens everywhere and giant spore clouds that would make you hallucinate and do different things. And it was such a cool experience of just walking around and unveiling new cards and those cards will do all kinds of crazy shit to you. It was really neat. And like the bad things ended up being good things because like if you got two of the bad things, you ended up having a hallucination and like Tim's hallucination made him like walk <laughs> three I instead feared, of one. I feared, or, I feared the rest of the crew so much that it made me walk faster. <laughs> he like, he but- had three times the movement. <laughs> And, and that, I mean, because of that was the only reason we were able to complete it. Other people got hallucinations that were just categorically bad for what we we're trying to do mm-hmm. and would have made it like we had to get rid of them. And it was interesting throughout that like, questions like where, where should we build, you know, the labs? And we starting out, we had no idea because there's no guidance at all as to what we're trying to do long term. As far as like, is, is build this here good or bad? Should mm-hmm. we wait to build it? Should we not? And just, Basically, you know, what- it, was, it was very interesting how it forced us to do things before we knew whether or not they were a good idea. Yeah, exactly. You basically start the game. There's like a booklet of like, here's the things you must complete in order to survive on this planet. And you start with one objective, you complete it, and then you do another objective. And so you have to kind of take them as they come. And then the final objective is everyone must get back to the ship alive. And so every, and it, it was real close came down to the wire. Oh, it was, it was almost. So I've gotten into this recently with a lot of the, like games that I've played that have been co-op games, they're so well balanced for what level I'm at that it is always the last turn. Like it feels like we're almost playing out an, a certain failure and then we end up squeaking by on the last turn. It is nuts. We're like dragging each other back to the ship, you know, like <laughs> barely alive. It, it wasn't that close. I, I counted out the moves we had, you know, like three or four turns before the end and was telling the group, no, 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 we've got this. And people are like, no, 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 it's not going to work. Is this Okay. And- okay, mister. We <laughs> had it figured out. We had one ter- one spare turn left, like realistically. Possibly two. But yeah, no, I, I, I was down. Like at one point I was thinking when I was trying to figure it out, I was like, oh, I think we're actually going to be one turn short of being able to make it work. And then I figured it out. And at that point. Because um, I got a last minute good thing. Yeah, yeah, it worked. I pulled a, which, I pulled a which last came from thing. which came from the bad thing that we got. You yep, had like a yep. condition that gave you resources that then I could use for uh, for something good. So it yeah. Uh, yep. uh, all this is just to say, guys, like this game is amazing. It's really fun. It it really is one. I can definitely see it being frustrating for someone who wants to feel a, a strong sense of control and planning for what they're doing oh, because, yeah, no, no, like no, we're no. saying, you don't. 
Um, we very easily had we gotten a different, you know, like I said, had Tim gotten a different hallucination, we went to we went out of one it, and mm-hmm. that's just a random deck of cards. There's no there's no guarantee that it was winnable in the way that we won it. Um, had we gotten other different things, maybe we could have done other plans and make worked out other things. But it 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 really is uh, forcing you to have to make decisions on the fly when things come up to figure out like, okay, now now that we know what we have to do, and we were. You know, even before that, we we're trying to start to guessing based on trend lines, like what will the next quest be, what will the next mission be, mm-hmm. and we hadn't played it, we didn't know. Um, and the next time we play it, we'll play it with a different planet. So it's not like we learned this and now we're going to be able to do it. Mm-hmm. Our next planet might have a categorically different things, and so it was, it was a lot of fun figuring those things out and 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 floating with it. Just again, just sitting there, kind of storyline role playing that yeah, we are on this planet, we have no idea what's going on. I ended up getting back on the ship with a giant squid like attached to my face. <laughs> like these are. Yep, yep. I mean, they the did narrative such a great job narratively. Oh yeah, yeah, like every all the writing was so fun to read, and it really made you feel like you're like on this planet and weird shit is happening, and you're just trying to understand it. I feel like the writing was also it was also very like breaking the fourth wall ish, like a little meta mm-hmm. every now mm-hmm. and then peppered mm-hmm. in to make you be like, ah, oh, the game the game makers knew what they were doing. Like they're talking to us through this. Yeah, exactly. And it felt like it was a game made for hardcore gamers for sure. Yep. Which I think kind of, you know, starts directing toward our our topic for the day, but the complexity of this is not something I would suggest for a new, you know, a new table or new player. No, not at all. Not at all. You would, you would immediately want to quit if you hadn't played a cooperative game before and you like jump into this. And you didn't have anybody to really kind of help facilitate. Like we were all like very actively working and thinking about solutioning here. If you had like one person trying to quarterback at all, it would have been very, very hard. Oh yeah. Would have been impossible. Um, Not as, not as hard as spirit Island, but I can imagine when you get to those really hard planets, like there's, there's, there's four different planet difficulties. There's, and we played on the easiest, simplest planet Right. which they recommend obviously for your first playthrough, but it goes up to like difficulty four and we barely scraped by difficulty one. And we are all very seasoned players. And each player was having to sit there and look at like, what is, what is this thing that's impacting my character? What is this hallucination? What is this power? What is this uh, thing that I have? And we were all having to sit there and really, really scratch our heads and process. What is this thing that I have now? And then try to communicate out to the table. Okay. Yeah. This is a thing I can do. I think sometimes, <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and 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 even like I remember you know, at the very end there, I remember like asking Sarah like, okay, like you know, are you going to be able to get back to the ship? Like with the things you have on you, can you do this? Um, can you move without causing problems? And she couldn't move and cause problems. Moving also gave her perks, and so like we're sitting there like, okay, so are these perks? Do they offset the, the problems? Do we want to get mm-hmm. rid of this? Do we want her to keep this? Mm-hmm. And Sarah had to be able to figure that out and process that because I was trying to figure out my character's situation and problems and powers. Tim had his stuff. Like Tim was saying, one player trying to quarterback the whole thing. Um, yeah, you could play single player running four characters, but it would be a big, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be challenge. It would be a challenge for sure. Again, I wouldn't say it's as complicated as spirit yeah. Island, mostly because the degree of um, differences between what everybody's abilities are, because each person has like a specialty, and then, so they're they're pretty good at doing one specific thing, and it's not near as um, uh, um, completely um, game changingly comprehensive as what Spirit right, Island. Exactly. Each Spirit play has 
categorically different rules. And asymmetric. Like, there we go. That's the word I was looking for. Totally. But it's yeah. not near as asymmetric as Spirit Island. Um, yep. So from that angle, it's not as bad. But everyone yep. has like what two, one or two different things that are yep. like we all have the same base actions, but mm-hmm. everybody gets one different action. Right. So it's you know there is some asynchronicity. The the base actions were had a little bit different strengths for each for each of the characters. Oh, true. So, yeah. Yeah. So so but they're the same basic. Uh, things you can functionality. do. Same basic functionality. Same functionality. Just you're, you'd be better or worse at certain things, which compared to Spirit Island, the things that your spirit can do at Spirit Island are just <laughs> categorical. They don't even they don't even relate whatsoever to what anybody else right. does. It's like what you, 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 you're, you're making what decision every round? Like that mm-hmm. is a completely different thing than my spirit does mm-hmm. altogether. And so, yeah, at yeah, least there's that. that we didn't even talk about the best part of this game, which of course mm. is the fact that your player dashboard is a two-layered thing <laughs> where the pieces course, fit in. Course. But further, further, every player, okay, so your sheet has like an astronaut guy on it and there's mm-hmm. like a, a empty spot where the head goes and you get to pick your person's head. And there's yep. like all these different characters that you can pick. And one side is just their normal face, and then the other side is them with ridiculous sunglasses on, <laughs> Hell which yeah. is the best. Yep, I did. I did a cat head with sunglasses with yes. my uh, with my character. So uh, yeah, I mean, for those listening, like I can't say enough about this game. So if you see Unsettled and it's out available in retail, I highly recommend it. It's probably fairly pricey to do it retail, just because each planet you do have to purchase, but it's a pretty reasonable price. It's like fifteen bucks per planet, so and it offers three different scenarios in each one, and it just completely changes the way the game is played. And I think that they plan on introducing more and more planets. They want to keep expanding the game, so same way that you kind of have Arkham Horror, the living card game, where you can buy more packs constantly mm-hmm. and stuff like that. It seems like they're going to follow a similar model, so. Uh, but the nice thing is each planet is independent, so you it doesn't rely on you having the previous ones. Each each story is independent. But I think nice. that that is actually a good segue because uh, to Ken's point, kind of talking about complexity, it does yeah. kind of lead us into our topic. So I think yeah, now that we've got a thirty that. a nice thirty minute intro <laughs> to well, catch I everybody it, up, it was a nice bleed in, and you know it's been a while. You know we wanted to talk about our our uh, stuff that we've been up to, but so. Full transparency, this was Tim's idea for this episode. So tell us how you, you came about this topic, Tim. I don't yeah. know about this transparency thing. Transparency. <laughs> <laughs> Go ahead, Tim. <laughs> um, okay, so I mostly arrived at this conversation. I was having a pretty – I was actually talking about Unsettled with my dad on um, the game that we were just talking about. And he was talking about some games that he had recently picked up, and one of the ones that he mentioned was Five Tribes. Now, you may, some of you may have heard of Five Tribes, but it's a fairly, fairly involved worker placement slash like picking up workers as you kind of go along this like big grid of, I think it's like a five by five grid. And I, I was just like, oh man, I've always been interested in that one, but it always just seemed like there was so many decisions that you would have to make in that game. And every turn would just be like constant, like men- mental churn around like, what are you going to do every turn? Especially if you have three or four players, the board just immensely changes, you know, quite a bit. Now, I'm speaking about this from the angle that I have not played this game before, but I've watched, like, reviews of the game. So I can't speak from personal experience. It's just from an outsider looking in, looking at the game, I was like, it just looks like it's just constant min-maxing all the time of, like, technically, there's always a right turn. 
there's always a correct answer every turn. And it's just, are you willing to sit there long enough and think about what that correct answer is? And so it kind of just got me thinking about with games and game complexity, if there is such thing as just too much complexity or if there's anything inherently wrong with a game always necessarily feeling like it has a right answer every turn or if things can be more in the avenue of there are five different choices and there are strengths or pros and cons to each one of them and they might send you down a different path but arguably there is no correct answer or at least there there's no way to know what the correct answer is because there's either imperfect information so you can't really make that assessment right now but yeah, it just kind of kind of got me thinking about game game complexity. And it could go the other way where a game is just too simple and every turn pilots itself. Like you're really not even you're just kind of going through the motions and that answer is just so obvious you just know what what to do every turn. So you can go the other direction as well. And it's interesting like that you're using five tribes as an example of high complexity because even if you look at, you know, board game geeks weight complexity rating on it is not super high. Mm-hmm, it's it's mm-hmm. like a 2.8 out of 5. Sure. Oh, wow. That's really low. But, well, 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 so real quick, I want to jump in on that because that's that's in terms of understanding the game. Exactly. So rules, exactly. that's a little different. Like, it, saying, it, and, 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 and that's, that's exactly what I was going to say with that, that Five Tribes is your example here. It's not a game, apparently, that is, that is complicated to understand how to play. Mm-hmm. But like, and I, I would use it as an example, something like Go, um, that is... You know, an ancient game that is often considered to be incredibly complex. The rules of Go are not that hard. No, not at all. You you, you stick you stick a, a a stone on the board. Like basically, where you stick it almost is is a valid move to begin with. Like the actual rules to to, to make a valid move are very simple. Mm-hmm. The rules even to understand how you do captures and capture territory are not hard in Go. Mm-hmm. Knowing with a big Go board where you should put that stone, it's very complicated because you could put it anywhere. Everything is valid. Figuring out what kinds of patterns and placements of things are going to make sense requires a very, very deep level of understanding of what that strategy should be. And mm-hmm, so you can mm-hmm. you can very quickly and go have completely ruined your game with what felt like very innocuous moves mm-hmm, mm-hmm. because the game is is complicated enough that you can you can put yourself in a bad situation without having any understanding of why that's a bad situation. I think it's really good that you brought up Go as well because it kind of shows that this is kind of a timeless problem. Like, this is something Mm -hmm. to where uh, board games are kind of diffusing it or obfuscating it in some ways by either providing a lot of mechanics to kind of obscure what's going on. Like, for example, there are some games now that are just throwing everything in the kitchen sink in them in terms of all these different things that you can do, and it kind of they're using that to kind of obfuscate the, you know, too simple problem and mm-hmm. not making it to where the answer is, is immediately obvious or point salads as a lot of people call them as right. well, which kind of emanate the same vibe of there's a lot of things that you can do. You don't really know what's winning and what's not, or sometimes it's too obvious about what actually gets you the most points and you just kind of keep going down that same path. So th- this is clearly something that still exists. Even with go, you know, there is n- I, now I'm not a, obviously I don't know much about Go, but maybe in Go there is an understanding of like a cor- correct move, mm-hmm. right? Uh, same with chess. Chess is in the same avenue, especially games where you have just pure symmetry, where it is a lot easier to uh, analyze moves in that sense. 
And basically, if, if anybody's not familiar with Go, it's you have a, a big a big board of of you know vertices where you you put you know you put your your stones on places where the lines you know cross each other. And the, the point of the game is to completely surround uh, squares. So if you completely surround it, you've captured that area. That's that's points for you. And so like you start out with a really huge board, and you can put your stones anywhere you want to. And what what your implied uh, ownership are and what your implied control is will shift very you know can shift very quickly in the early game. And knowing like I said, I think like you definitely can have uh, moves that are are very obviously to someone who knows what they're doing a good move a bad move. Moves though that you know that, that can be trying to guide and, and change things. A lot, a lot of what high level go players end up doing is is kind of having a feel for what are powerful patterns of of, of placement, what are powerful shapes to be creating, and that's what they're creating. You know, that's what they're focusing on more than you know how many squares of space do I control with this move or that move. And so that becomes a thing that we're you know, the very simple rule set, very simple set of pieces mm-hmm. gets incredibly complicated. Um, as you understand what the strategy is of it, contrasting to what we were saying with Five Tribes, uh, one of the most complex games I've played myself is Mage Knight, and Mage mm. Knight is one where I I knocked it down a point or two in my my board game geek score for it for being uh, you know for force complexity. After the first time I played it, um, my answer on, on whether I had fun was uh, was to say that I wasn't sure, and the reason was <laughs> is that I mean that's pretty bad. Well, well, the, the issue with Mage Knight is that uh, I was playing with someone who plays it a lot by himself and plays it single player a lot. Sure, And sure. even for him, um, over the course of the time we were playing, he had to go look up rules in the rule book, you know, 10 times to figure out, like, how does this particular mm-hmm. scenario work? How does this particular situation uh, happen? If this interacts with that, what exactly does this mean? Mm-hmm. And, and that's the thing. You know, Mage Knight um, has a really thick rule book with very particular rules for every kind of interaction that can happen on the board. Mm-hmm. So it is a it's a very complicated logical puzzle with mm-hmm. a really complex rule set where you know you can end up trying to you know I, I move this guy to here and then you're sitting there you look up the rule book to see what does this mean what happened here what how do I resolve this mm-hmm. and so it, it's it's you know, I think you know board game geek rating on that is a four point three six out of five points for complexity it's it's a very complex game. And you're constantly having to go look things up in the rule book to find out, is this valid? Is this legal? Can I do this? Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I enjoy the puzzle of it. I enjoy the themes of it. I enjoyed a lot of the rules of it. Um, maybe if I play, you know, 10 times or 15 times or I buy a copy and I play it all the time like my friend does, I would eventually come to love it. But, you know, starting out with that and, and realizing that after playing through the game, I know a tenth of the rules at this point. You know, and, and it, this is, is, it is a lot to learn. Yeah, yeah. And and this is where I really question, like, okay, I think we have to mm-hmm. make clear that obviously we cannot provide a definitive answer as to whether complexity actually makes a game good. I don't think you could right. realistically make an argument one way or the other there. So I personally, just from the sound of Mage Knight, I would argue that subjectively it's not a good game if it is like that complex and it requires all this nuance. Like to me, that just seems like mechanically it's just not as crisp or clean as it probably could be. And I think this is also something that you run into. This is a common thing when people get into board games that I think all of us are probably have fallen victim to, or we may not even know that you have, but oftentimes what happens is as you start to get into board games, you're like, Oh, 
there's got to be more out there, you know, like the, the games that you thought were complex before all, they start to feel simple now or not, or simpler at least because a lot of games share similar mechanics, or at least there's something that you can relate it to when you like learn a rule. You're like, Oh, that's kind of similar to this. And it makes it to where you can pick up games much faster now. And so you almost feel like there's this, there's, there's this like one upping that you keep having to do in order to reach the same hype of like, oh, this game is so cool. Like there's all this stuff to it. And are you saying that you build up a board game tolerance and you I have think to so. get, yeah, get higher yeah, and higher exactly. for the hit? I, 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 I would really say like Unsettled, I think is a great example of that we were just talking about and that it is definitely not a game I would ever propose for, for new gamers because we all came in with a very deep background of mechanics and structures and understanding all of us were able to really jump in there. Even even Sarah, who will claim that she's not good at learning board games, she learned it and was able to play it and, and know it because you've played enough games, understand enough structures that, that it, it made sense what you're doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah. was um, I was almost the one that time. didn't make it back to the ship? Yes, but... Yeah. <laughs> but that was that was a group decision, though. But yeah. you, And you understood like right. your objective there, right? You understood why you were there and why you needed to be there. And I had a squid on my face, so... (laughs) Looking at, you know, Mage Knight, is Mage Knight a well-designed game? It's it's designed by by, uh, uh, Vlada, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, uh, Shivato. It's the same guy who who, who made Codenames, the same guy who made Galaxy really? Yes, like, this this, this is one of the big names in board games. As a designer, he designs really, really great games. Codenames is one of the simplest, Mm -hmm. easiest games to teach that I would always recommend as a, as a, as a group party game for, you know, getting together with family or holidays. It's a, it's a household name at this point. It's a household name. Like, like Vlada, Vlada is one of the great board game designers. Mage Knight is, I mean, it is a, it is a well-designed game in the sense that the puzzles are fun, are interesting. Mm -hmm, And and mm -hmm. people who love Mage Knight, um, they do love it because they every time they play it, they're digging in and learning rules again and trying to and getting a deeper understanding of the game and how to play things and how to. It's it's. I mean, at least it sounds like every experience is unique, right? Right. Well, and it's it, and it, I'm gonna say this is a game. This is ranked 33 uh, best game on Board Game Geek. You know, as, as a game design, like, this, this is a very popular, well beloved game mm-hmm. that is just massively, massively complicated. And that's. You know, one of the friends that I, I played that first game with, uh, that was his third time playing it, and he said after playing, it's like he can conclusively say after the third playthrough and having had the misery he had of trying to figure out rules the prior two times that he categorically did not like the game. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So one of them loves one of the people I play with loves the game, plays it by himself all the time. I was sitting there, I, I'm not sure. I rated it seven out of ten on Board Game Geek. I will play it again and and try to learn more and, and gain. And and the third friend who also was a regular board game player. Hate decide he hates this is never going to play again. Very much like Kim was saying, like if I have to spend this much time trying to understand the rules constantly, again the friend that was that knew the rules was teaching the other two of us the rules throughout the you know constantly throughout the game because even if playing three times, you know a very you know a fraction of the rules after three playthroughs. Mm-hmm. You know a lot more of the rules after ten playthroughs. You play this game dozens of times, you start knowing most of the rules, but even then you're having to look up rules constantly. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's what you have to be enjoying about that game in order to enjoy in order to enjoy it. You have to enjoy the fact that I am taking on puzzles here and challenges, and I'm trying to do things and having to go look at the rules to see which of these things that I want to do is a legal move in the game. Mm-hmm. Not not so, go which is the best move. And right, so right, right. When we look at complexity. Is like you you really, as a player, you have to know 
how much uh, how how much uh, capacity do you have for constantly having to check the rule book every move to see if what you're wanting to do is legal? Mm-hmm. And for most players, it's not going to be mage knight. Honestly, like right. for both, most people out there who are looking at it, if, you know, most people are going to I think are going to uh, have some level of what Tim said. If you have to look at the rules that much, it's not a well-designed game. It is for that kind of a player. No, and, and that and that's fair. That that's that's totally fair. And I mean, even to kind of combat myself, even with that claim yep. that I made, Spirit Island is that for a lot of people. Yep. I've just played it so much that I know all the rules like the back of my hand. And even then, there are so many cards and interactions that sometimes you know you, there there's a huge fa living living FAQ basically of people asking mm-hmm. specific interactions. I don't think it's as bad to where I. Most games, I don't have to look something up, but there are times that things come up. Um, well, what's, I, again, what's really great about Spirit Island is that you can give the newer player a lore complexity spirit. That's true too, though. and they can that's be effective. Yeah. and they they don't they don't have to know all the rules. Like every time I, I I play the game at this point now, I take a you know a a a complex or a very complex character, and I will spend half the game trying to figure out what does this character even do, how do these rules work. Mm-hmm. Because I enjoy learning those things and doing that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I don't have to do that to play mm-hmm. Spirit Island with you. That's and true. It can still be that's fun, true. and that's it, like that, you, that, you that are varying... you are actively making the the mechanics more complex. Like you are making Whereas, an active choice. Mage Knight, everybody, everybody has to figure out the complex rules every interaction you do. If you want to do this thing, that may be the the thing that you need to do best to help you know help win the game. Mm-hmm. You have to figure out these complex rules for if if this character with this power and that armor attacks this location, what does that mean? And you're having to go look at the rule book. So, and this, I mean, that I, sounds I, a lot like too many bones, actually, because too many mm. bones, like the mechanics of the battle itself, are very simple. But mm-hmm. every baddie that you fight has a different skill set, mm-hmm. and versus your skill set, how do those interact? Like there are lots of different things interacting that are like okay what which trumps what like you have to look at the turn order like what is start of turn versus movement versus target versus you know whatever so mm-hmm. there's lots of different interactions that you have to figure out how they work um so th- we definitely never play a game of too many bones without the total like the full rule book next to me but also they have like four different reference sheets that you're supposed to use while you're playing it <laughs> So we're at 42 minutes here, and we haven't gotten past our first uh, bullet point of what is complexity. I, I, right, and I, and I wanted, I wanted to what circle is back complexity? on that thought. Right, because I think it's a very complex even, matter, okay? It is a very complex matter. Because I don't think that we've even... I think the problem is that there's a lot of ways to talk about this, and we aren't necessarily even talking about the same thing. Because right. it, uh, in some avenues, you know, what, what you just discussed, Ken, is... You're talking about complexity in terms of just like raw, how hard is this game to really understand? And right. I mean, that's an absolutely valid angle yep, of, that, of yep. you know, how to think about that term. And I was thinking about it in terms of like looking at a game and looking at each turn and how much of that is, a, how much of it is an optimization problem? Right. Whereas... You know what we're what you guys are talking about there is thinking about just the raw mechanics of it and the different exactly. interaction effects. That's not quite the same as like arguably if you sat down every turn, mm-hmm. is there a correct answer every turn, and you just have to right. sit there and think about it long enough. 
and maybe complexity is not the right word there, but I think it it scratches at the same the same problem. Basically, what you're asking about is what is what is the complexity of the decisions you make in the game? How big is the potential answer set and options? Mm -hmm. Is this Candyland where you roll the dice and you move your piece? Mm -hmm. Is this tic-tac-toe where you memorize the 20 outcomes and you can't lose a Mm tic-tac-toe? Is this Go where the play may be simple, but there are many, many valid ways to play the game? Mm-hmm. Right. So let's start at the bottom of that. Let's start. Lo- we're talking high complexity. Let's start mm-hmm. low complexity. Like mm-hmm. how low is too low? Candyland, I think, is a great example of this because Candyland, mm-hmm. if you haven't played it in a while, because I hadn't until I played with my niece fairly recently, you have a deck of cards. You flip the card over whatever color it is. You go to that square and then you move across the board and the first one to the end wins. Sometimes you might pull a lollipop. And then you go to the lollipop space, which is obviously going to be probably better than just pulling an orange. So it's very much you have no decisions. There's no strategy to it. Yeah, you just, a- agency whoever is pulls entirely it, removed. Right. So it's just you're going through the motions, unless you're my niece. And you're like, oh, well, <laughs> I'm me, so I get to pull two cards. <laughs> and, and that that really, to me, like I, I personally wouldn't even categorize something like Candyland as being a game because there are no choices. Mm-hmm. Um, tic-tac-toe is a game you can you can choose to play well or badly you can you know you can you know Candyland there, there, there are no choices uh, you know same thing with like shoots and ladders same thing with like and to me for even for me even to categorize it as being a game there there have to be there has to be some kind of a decision space that's taking place mm-hmm. uh, so I would say anything less than that um, can be an activity but it, you know I went I wouldn't categorize it as a game because there's no there's no decision you're making. There's no way to be better or worse at the game at the at the activity. And I th- and I think um, to so that at the lowest end of, of complexity, I'd say there has to be a choice for me to even consider it to be a game personally. So then Absolutely. you've got something like what is it like? Sorry, where you're going mm-hmm. around and like maybe you like have a choice to go one direction versus the other, and maybe you have a choice to like do a take that mechanic to the other person yep. versus not if you don't want to be confrontational. So that that's like probably a step above Candyland and that you're making some decisions, but it's exactly. usually this or that. It's not yep. this or that or that or that, and maybe down the line this kind of thing. And, and I guess the question that we'd have at that point for complexity is that I, I feel like generally with something like Sorry, um, there is an optimal decision with almost every you know situation or role to be playing. Mm-hmm. So that, that kind of goes into, into Tim's question, like, is it really a decision space at that point if there is a obviously optimal decision? Tic-tac-toe, same kind of thing. Like, is tic-tac-toe a game because there's always an obviously correct thing to, to do. Is We're going to talk ourselves out of everything being a game. <laughs> no, no, but I, no, I would say that is a game. Like if, if there is a, if there is a choice to make a, to do something that's better or worse, even if one is obviously correct, I still, you know, like, and, and, and I think that that is a, that is honestly a good place to start with, uh, with, with, with children because, you know, tic-tac-toe is great because you can definitely show that, you know, one of these is obviously the better thing to do. And I, if I want you to start thinking strategically, I want you to think about what is the right move. Candyland, I'm, I'm not teaching anything. Like you, you, you pull the card, you move. Like you, you're learning some mechanics, but you're not learning to make good decisions. Tic Tac Toe, there's a good decision, and I, I prefer starting with things like that, honestly, with children because it's easier to show that you know there's a way that is better, there's a way that is worse. You should do the better thing. A really complex game to determine the right path to do. Like, yes, one of these might be better or might be worse. Like, even like when we're talking about with Unsettled, it was very unclear to us whether the things we were doing were smart or dumb. We, we did things. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, like I'm gonna move here, but it's gonna use time. Is that are we? Is this a wise use of our time? Because time is a limited resource there, as it is anyway. We had no idea, and we, we had no idea, know. and we almost ran out of time. So we did. <laughs> but and, and I this, think it's a, also, an interesting uh, thing with like with something like a step up to a game from Candyland to a game like Sorry, where there are different mm-hmm. decisions, and one of them is probably the better decision. I think sometimes you introduce into that a little bit of like empathy and morality when you're talking, like teaching kids Mm. games, because especially with a game that's got to take that mechanic, there's a strategically correct thing to do. And there's the thing that's going to potentially (laughs) hurt someone's feelings. Right. Mm -hmm. And with that, if you're going to do the strategically right thing, how are you going to kind of buffer the, the fact that you probably just like knocked your brother back to the beginning and he's going to be mad Mm -hmm. and, you know, navigating those more emotional situations, Mm -hmm. which I think is like, it's good. But sometimes I think the messaging to like kids is different. You know, do you take the strategic or do you take the nice? I don't know. That might've gotten a little gender biased. (laughs) No, 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 it's a, and it's also, I mean, you kind of look then at the next evolution and notice how in a lot of ways we're talking about kids games because this is kind of, you know, this is oftentimes the starting point of a lot of people in their experience with board games is these games that really don't have much of a decision space. Hell, even Monopoly, which is probably the most popular board game of all time, period. uh, Is there really that much that you're deciding on? For the most part, you're rolling a die and nine times out of ten, you'll probably buy the property there if you can afford it. Yep. Mostly because you have no agency of whether you'll end up in the other spots that you want to end up in. So yep. no, Monopoly that's... is probably eighty-five, ninety percent deterministic. With you know a a big a big decision point about a third of the way through, where people make you know there's a big generally big trade that happens, and there's some negotiation skills. And even with that, I'm like a lot of who ends up winning those is who who's who's the best at being demanding and insistent that they get the things they want, mm-hmm. and that person is quite often going to win the game. And at that point, it's like, was that even a strategic decision or was it just the person who was most obnoxious about demanding what they wanted wins? Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, ultimately, and, that's and, and the, the point of Monopoly. Is, is, oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. You know, it's it's the game of capitalism. It's modeling how capitalism works. And it's whoever is going to be the biggest dick is going to win. Yep. <laughs> Gather well, so all the resources. And, and so now we kind of hop along, right? And we get to the people who... Did, weren't willing to write board games off completely yet from those experiences of basically <laughs> raw deterministic nature, right? So we end up with people who managed to mangle their way over to Catan, where now you start, you're starting to have a lot more agency. Yes, there is still a decent bit of luck there, depending on whether you roll yep. you know, for the resources, but you can pick where you start. The board is different every time if you're playing the non-basic version. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of agency there in terms of what you do. There's also the trading mechanic, which also gives you more control over your own destiny, so to speak. And this is kind of where it starts to hook people. And you could argue the complexity of Catan is very minimal uh, overall yep. when you look at the raw amount of games that are out there now and what's popular now. It still sits pretty low in complexities. Yep. And it, there's still there's still plenty of agency, I would say, there overall. I'd say there, there, there's, there's some agency. I, I think Catan definitely tends to, again, on the on the decision states complexity we're talking about, um, 
many of the decisions you make in Catan, uh, there is one of the decisions that is obviously the better thing to do based on your current situation and status and mm-hmm. probabilities. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where you know, I think it often can feel like there's more uh, flexibility of decision space than actually exists with the game. But it does give you that that sense that you have, uh, I think, a lot more control mm-hmm. over your fate than maybe you actually do, and mm-hmm. I, I starts, think what... starts, getting, starts starts kind of wetting that appetite for uh, I want to have things that give me more control over what what happens with my uh, with my outcome. Now I do. I think this is actually kind of a cool inflection point, and I think it's going to relate back to what you were talking about earlier, Ken, with Go. So. I, I, on accident, happened to be just kind of going through YouTube space, and I ended up on a Catan, uh, a Catan player who was do- basically doing, like, online, uh, an mm-hmm. online leaderboard, basically, and just playing through his mm-hmm. games, and he's just live broadcasting them, and for a game that I had largely written off, it was really cool to see a, like, he's, you know, in the top 10 ladder, mm-hmm. so he's a very good right. player. And it was interesting to hear him kind of narrate his decisions and mm-hmm. hear why he was choosing those things. And it made me go, not that I, not that I didn't think that this was the case, but to actually right. see it and hear it yep. and see that, oh, you know, there can be quite a bit of strategy going on here, yep. which is pretty cool. Um, that, that the main reasons why I don't like Catan is more so the the social trading aspect of it and the fact that hmm. a lot of like the resources that you have are just based on luck, no matter how strategic you were with where you put things um that's one thing that i kind of don't like about the game but seeing for someone that has less someone that has less strategy like i'm not as strategically minded i love games that have that kind of mechanic because luck is probably the only way i'm gonna win (laughs) yeah i mean what i would say with with katana as well on that sense though is that a lot of that is a lot of those probabilities are calculable and can oh, be definitely, assessed. Definitely, it's like playing at that kind of a competitive level, and even even where I where I, the level I play at, like I am, I am, I am, and I can roll roll unfortunately and not and not get things, but you know I can also do the math and figure out how likely am I going to be to be getting that that oh, resource a, a, on on a, on, a, on a ten or eleven versus you know those eights and sixes, mm-hmm. and again that's why I feel like there there is very frequently in Catan a a optimal uh, move to make compared to other kinds of things. I'd be I'm actually I might have to go find that that YouTube channel to kind of see how often he's looking at it saying like this is obviously the clear right decision versus mm-hmm. um, I have these two options depending on what I want to do and that that becomes where that that, that decision complexity becomes a bigger thing is like how often are you having to actually make a, a true judgment call about which direction to go versus when these choices are clearly right? The the most time is spent at the very beginning when you're first yep. placing your stuff because obviously yep. that the rest of that not that it's deterministic so to speak right. because it's not because other players yep. can block you and stuff but yep. o- overall you're taking that stuff into consideration as well when you're placing your stuff exactly. like how likely is this player to block me what direction is he probably going. And it's usually fairly spelled out, but not always. Like, because right. you still have randomness with like what cards do they draw or what role, what resources get rolled. So there's, there's obviously yep. it's not. You you can still make smart decisions around things, but right. most of the meat of the decision making is around your initial placement of your buildings. Exactly. But anyways, but the point of my point that I wanted to make there is just like with Go and chess, like when you st- when you now 
flip it on its head and you start playing things at a very high meta level, you can actually unveil more strategy in there than you may initially realize. Um, and I think Catan is that way, but I don't enjoy that game enough that to me, I don't want to really navigate and explore that space. I feel like the, the decisions there aren't interesting enough that I would right. go down that route. Well, one of the questions you had on here was with whether low complexity necessarily makes something boring or, or, or lack of rules makes it boring. I, I think that part of that comes down to uh, the the vibe of the play space around the game. Like mm-hmm. playing a social game where we are just, you know, where I can have a conversation shit, and hang out with my friends mm-hmm. and, and, and the decision space is is light. It's not going to be boring. Mm-hmm. Um, if If the decision space is light and... Everybody has to be really, you know, quiet and studious and focused. And we can't talk during the game. Um, that's going to get boring. If if I'm sitting there and having to calculate out the deterministic probabilities for all my decisions, mm-hmm. and my end my final decision ends up being, you know, this is obviously the right move to make, but I had to do a lot of work to get there. Mm-hmm. That's going to tend to be boring for me. It could be still fun to, you know, be teaching a child that I'm trying to work on, on getting doing better statistical analysis to do that. Mm-hmm. But it's not going to be a fun game for me because I, I know I can find the right answer, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be a fun process for me to get there. Okay, um, so to, when do you decide go I'm going to not do the statistics and just have fun and make decisions based on what I want to do? It's hard. Is if that it's just in your nature to want to do that though? Because. Oh, yeah. I've realized this playing games with Morgan. So he's Mm -hmm. really competitive and he likes to think Mm -hmm. things through. And, you know, Mm -hmm. y'all have seen this when we're playing TI. He's definitely one of those people that will take as much time as he needs to figure out what the right, the correct thing to do on his turn is. And we're playing that game. There usually is not a correct answer. Right. So you can sit there and think forever. Like, and and that gets to like why I like games. Yeah, exactly. Because there is no, there is no objectively right answer. Um, Oh, or, most of the if time, generally in, in Twilight Imperium, I feel like if you see if you feel like there's only one option, it's because you're missing another option. <laughs> like you're not there is not there's if all you see is one obvious move, it's probably you who is wrong. Or it's maybe more fair to say it's usually easy to say what answers are wrong, right. rather than what's right. Exactly. Exactly. See, and I I don't play like that. So we've been playing Gloomhaven Jaws of the Lion the last few nights. Oh, nice. And he, yeah, it's it's really fun. We got to yep. get you guys in for some games because it's down, it's I'm a down. lot of fun. So the, he will sit and figure yep. out. He'll be like, okay, how many cards do you have? This is how many turns we have left. Yep. Okay, like here's what I need to do. You can't quarterback in that game though, which is fantastic nope. because yep. there's like there you have cards and each card has a top and a bottom and it's a different action and you play each turn mm-hmm. two cards and you can do a top and a bottom and then your initiative order is based on what order is on the cards and you can't mm-hmm. talk about those cards before you put them down so yep. you're not it allowed really... you're not allowed to to share those to share what to share what's on your cards you have in your hand or you're not and you're also not allowed to talk about which cards each player plays and so what you put down at that point. And that, that does largely dictate what your character does for that round. So it, it very much the rules. Of the game prevents you from being able to have quarterbacking in, a, in an awesome way. Absolutely. Uh, it, That's smart. It really is right. great, but I drive Morgan nuts because he'll figure out what he thinks is the most optimal thing to do. Mm. And then I'll do something completely different. And he's like, ah, now I have to change my whole turn because you just <laughs> did something really weird. And I'm like, no, I'm just doing like, 
we played one last night that like we had to destroy these five little obstacles. We didn't have mm-hmm. the the objective of the thing was not to kill the monsters there. It was just to destroy the obstacles. So I was figuring out how to do it, just destroying the obstacles. And he was thinking, I'm going to kill all these kill dudes. Everything. And then take my time doing the obstacles. And I was like, nah, burn it all down. <laughs> so it's, it's just a different way of thinking about things. Like, I've, mm-hmm. I'm never doing math in my head when we're playing these games. I'm just, I got a general gist that this is probably more likely to happen, you know. Mm-hmm. That's why, like, again, with Unsold, uh, you know, Sunday, I, I had counted out you know, four rounds ahead of time, every move we had, every, that's why, like, I mean, you know, I remember, you know, at one point Kim was saying, yeah, I don't think we can do this. And I was like, yeah, I think we're one, we're one move short. And then I realized I missed something on, on Sarah's power. Like, oh, no, actually we're, 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 we're good. We're going to have two extra moves before to win this. And, you know, it took a while for everyone to kind of figure out what that was. And I, you know, I, I tried to let people kind of, you know, wrestle through it a little bit themselves rather than completely quarterbacking those last four moves. But, I, you know, that's why I had figured that out ahead of time. I counted everything out. I did the math. I, I figured, and, you know, that, you know, that's so I was able to very confidently say four moves before the end there, like, no, we, we have this. We, we are going to win because I had counted it all out. I had done the math. I had calculated it. See, um, and, and to I, me, I'd rather just play it through and see what happens. <laughs> <laughs> and if we lose, it's not like we lost the last two hours. This wasn't like, mm, right. you know. I mean, some people would feel that way, but we're not really those people, so. Yep. Ken, I mean, Ken might be those people. <laughs> nah, I'm. If, if you know, like, if, if, honestly, like once I figured out the solution to it, um, I was I was comfortable. Like even if we had lost it at that point, I wouldn't have cared because I know, like, no, I knew that I, we could have won it. I knew what the moves were. Even if you guys had, had made the wrong moves and we had lost it, I would have been perfectly happy because I I figured out the puzzle. And and that's to me, that's why like when I when I play games, uh, you know, video games, like single-player games I play, I will put the game at the hardest difficulty and just slam myself against the first five or ten levels of the game uh, because the reason I am playing a game is to force a a problem-solving decision space into my brain. And if I can figure out what I need to do and how I need to do this, that's where I'm having fun. Mm -hmm. That is different when I I play role-playing games. Again, running running Curse of Strahd uh, for, for this group, I am really excited to be doing, you know, creating a world, telling stories, having people, you know, create a narrative. I can enjoy playing a role-playing game where we never leave the tavern and all my character does is go around and have social interactions with the other characters and gamble at the poker table and whatever because at that point I'm just enjoying, you know, making interesting, fun, bizarre interactions happen with my friends, which is what Sarah likes to do with a much wider swath of board games um, if I'm playing a board game, though, I, I want to I want to figure out the puzzle. I want I want a decision space. So so along that line, then um, this mm-hmm. uh, circles back to kind of my initial, yep. initial exactly. point, I guess. Of okay, well, when is it too much? Because arguably, there are games where you can have plenty of that that thought that needs to be put into it. Um, and usually, it seems like that we align pretty well on this where. You want it to where you come up with a good decision, not necessarily right. that there was the correct decision that you either had it and you just didn't figure it out. Or, you know, there are five different branches, but they all eventually lead to some sort of correct, quote, correct answer in the sense of it works and it got you to where you needed to be. And now you are maybe have 
advantage in one hand and disadvantage in another hand. Um, does that does that matter to you where there's ambiguity to your decision, but you can still have a good or bad decision? Or does there need to be like, I want to figure out the correct ultimate, you know, if you ranked all the decisions, there is a number one decision that you could have made and you didn't do it. But does that matter to you? I, I get very frustrated with games like Flux where the rules change constantly and the decisions that I was trying to make um, don't end up feeling like they matter. I can get, I, you know, even something like, like what we're talking about with, uh, um, you know, where, where I don't know, understand what the, what the, uh, the purpose of, of the rules of the, the things are, the challenges from like unsettled, you know, could have gotten very frustrating if, you know, we flip an objective and it meant that everything we'd done for the last three rounds had been a complete waste of time or mm-hmm. harmful to achieving the goal mm-hmm. that could have gotten frustrating to me. Sure. Sure. Um, I, I generally, I don't necessarily need to have a game where the decision space is finite enough that I can have, you know, I can, I can have made the perfect move. Mm-hmm. Um, chess is a game where, you know, there's off, very often the case and I, I do enjoy chess, but part of why chess is not a higher ranked game from me personally is that I like a little bit more of that flexibility, like Twilight Imperium, where I can say exactly both these directions are, are good could potentially have interesting things. I like enough random chance in there and enough complexity into the possible outcomes of the decisions I'm making Mm -hmm. that, you know, yeah, there's some level of, I I do this thing and I see what happens. Well, and by necessity Um, there, it, because of the design of the game outright, there is no best decision. Just the way, like almost 98% of the time. Right. There are so many decisions Mm -hmm. that, you know, there's probably you know, good ones and bad ones and something in between, but there's not one decision that's the best. Right. So many different interactions. Mm-hmm. It, that, that, that can be more comfortable as a player because you don't feel like, you know, I, I blew this because I didn't make the optimal decision. Mm-hmm. Um, right. You know, and if, if there was one right decision. Whereas some people enjoy, enjoy that challenge of like, you did not figure out the puzzle yep. completely is exactly. basically what it boils down to. And I, I don't mind playing things like that. It's not my ideal. Like I, I definitely prefer to play games where I can feel like there were multiple good answers and I picked one of the good answers mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. over things where I have to feel like I I didn't pick the optimal thing and therefore, you know, I'm a bad person because I didn't make I didn't solve the problem right. Um, it, right. And then and then now going down the other path, you could have a game that has so many options. It's hard to know whether what you did mattered. Right. And I don't like the, I, I, that I, that again, I kind of, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine doing things like that with a, a pure storytelling kind of a game like Dungeons and Dragons. There are some board games that are very narrative based that I would be okay with that. Um, I would say that, you know, the games that end up in a, in a positive or negative win or loss condition at the end. And I don't really feel like I know how the decisions I made, contributed to that mm-hmm. that does that does end up frustrating me that i feel like i don't know if the things i did here were good or bad or helpful or not we end up with this uh, this outcome and i feel like maybe if i'd made better different decisions it would have helped us but i still don't know what those decisions you want to be able to look like, back oh, at it and, and go like i would have changed this decision because then this would have happened and then oh my gosh and- you guys and morgan i so like we lost a game of too many bones one time and mm-hmm. Morgan stayed up for like four hours yep. after we finished to figure out 
what he could have done differently or what I could have done, what we could have done differently to have won that battle. Like, replayed it in his mind for hours until he figured out what we what we did wrong. Mm-hmm. After, just, after a Twilight <laughs> Imperium game, Sarah, I will spend a couple hours re- reconsidering what I could have done the last couple of rounds to have won the game. Mm-hmm. I will figure out what other what other moves could I have made based on information I know now. Uh, you know what what decisions could I have made that would have helped me win, and were those decisions that I should have known at the time would have been the right decisions to make. So we finished a game of, of Twilight Imperium that's taken us you know ten, twelve, fifteen hours. I'll go spend two more hours before I go to bed that night replaying what else I could have done that would have helped me. And TI is one of the worst games to do that with because the, the branches happen so quickly after a decision, because when you do something, then that influences what someone else was going to do. And that's not, that's not to say that like, there's even, it's not a fully objective game. Like there are emotions, opinions that go into like whether certain things will happen or won't happen. There's perception of like who's doing well and who's not, whether that's true or not. And so that alone, that's a, that's a hard game to kind of, you know, retrospect for that reason. Um, and that, that's, that's kind of like its own beast altogether. But I I was thinking a a little bit more about the way that I verbalized what I was talking about. And I think saying that whether your decisions matter or not is maybe too strong. It's more so whether you can realize or quantify the impact of your decisions. I think that that's a different problem altogether of kind of like what we talked about where, okay, well, what would I have done different? And can I uh, realize what that would have then led to? Because there are some things where mechanically, even if you had done something different, it's hard to know, would would that have gotten me more points if I had done this? Uh, There are some games that are almost two point salady to where it's hard to really analyze them from that perspective. Sometimes that's the fun part, but it can go too much in the other direction. Well, again, that's one of the things I think Sarah said that she likes sometimes about the point salady games is that, you know, not feeling like you don't know until the end, whether you're winning or losing. And at the end of it, you don't necessarily know if any of the things you did, you know, helped or hurt, or if it just, you know, that's just how it turned out. And I know people who get to the end of those games and don't even care to you know, like add up their own points because they don't care. They, they had their fun. They enjoyed the game. At this point, they don't care how many points they had. Mm. Um, I will then calculate their points for them because I want to know how well they did. But um, that's because points matter. You know, and, and, and a lot of those points already kind of games where I sit there, I look at, okay, what I did ended up giving me not very many points, mm-hmm. but I have no idea what I should have done differently. Those were frustrating for me again. Mm-hmm. See, I, yeah. I like those games because like I can pick a strategy and stick to my strategy you know, maybe adapting it here and there based on how the context of the game changes. Yeah, but I sure. know at the end, I'll find out if my strategy was good or not. Like, if I win, okay. my strategy was good. And if not, mm-hmm. oh man, I should have gone with a different strategy. And I think that the figuring that out and playing that through, just the act of doing it is fun. The mm-hmm. winning part, mm-hmm. if I win, cool. I like the fact yep. that my strategy worked, but it's really just like hypothesis testing. Like if mm-hmm. I'm playing this game of Dice Forge and I go really strong into the going for the really high value point cards, but getting fewer of them, is that going to work better for me than going for different dice rolls that are going to give mm-hmm. me victory points on specific dice? Like I like mm-hmm. testing those theories 
And that's why I like the games. It's more like a, a an experiment to see if I, yeah, sure. you know, I'm but choosing the right I, I think strategy. games like that kind of lend to that experiment feel, especially when there's chance involved. In some ways, that kind of sours the experience as well because you feel like the luck can sometimes get in the way of, well, did I really get to test whether this worked or not? Or was it just really bad luck this time? But that also can make it to where you want to try it again. And so it kind of has a, a double-edged, you know, it's a double-edged sword from that angle. Yep. But one game that I know that kind of also made me think about kind of having your turns completely played out, I I still enjoy Scythe a lot, but I think that Scythe mm. also falls victim to this uh, feeling of a lot of your turns are pretty spelled out, especially especially early round, like the early like first 10, 10 turns, I would say. Uh, there is a, especially for every faction, and yep. board combination there is a spelled out like this yep. is the best thing to do and as you play it enough you start to recognize you may not get the perfect optimal i can win in 17 turns and you can look up online and here's the 17 turn play that literally no one can interact with no matter how fat unless they like specifically ruin their game and go out of their way to stop you and which they won't win anyway like there, there is an optimal 15 to 17 turns that you play it this way every time and you will do well. And I think that that kind of stuff kind of makes me meh about it. Um, I am obviously not going to go look up what those strategies are. I just, I know that they exist and I've played side enough that I can largely replicate it and get probably pretty close to the optimal solution. Not perfect, but um, yeah. it's close enough that it kind of trivializes the game in, in some respects. No, and that's definitely with Scythe is one of the things that like, I've, I've played, you know, maybe 10 or 12 times. I, I know the rules well. I can play it effectively. I've played it with people who've played it, you know, 50, 60, 75 times. And, and that's exactly like, you know, at the end of the game, they take a look at my player boards and they're like, oh, with those boards and that, and that faction, this should have been your strategy. And I will I'll sometimes come fairly close to it. Sometimes I'll be like, yeah, I realized that about, about you know, six or seven turns in. Um, but I didn't realize it up front just looking at the initial boards. And, and that is something that um, Scythe generally has enough player interaction that I, I don't think that you generally have a, you know, like I said, that, that, that guaranteed 17-turn uh, win win state. Um, if you're playing with, with, with skilled players, they've all also looked at your board and they realize you have that 17-turn thing. So then the three players you're playing against will interfere with that they will mm-hmm. block you they will they, mm-hmm. and, it, and it won't just be one player who throws their game away to stop you it's three all players. three or four of the right, players sure. because they know that but it, it definitely is a game that once you've played it enough times people have to they have to know that they have to look at at your board state and your faction and your combination and say oh we're going to have to get into your space super fast and disrupt your gameplay and all three other players end up in your space because they know they have to disrupt that. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's that's the kind of stuff that starts being necessary with a game like Scythe, where me as a player who's played it 10, 12, 15 times, um, I'm not going to not going to be remotely in the running with somebody who's played it 60 to 75 times. Mm-hmm. They're which, playing a completely different game than I am at that point. Oh, absolutely. Which I think there's nothing necessarily wrong with that inherently. Nope. Um, it's just, I, I think it, it lends kind of to the previous point of once you kind of play a game enough, there is a, there's a really, there's always really interesting metas that come out of that, that actually exactly. somewhat increase the strategy level of a game that maybe is 
not it, there's kind of like this like weird like curve basically when it comes to like learning a game and there you kind of learn that optimal strategy and then as everybody kind of hits that peak at the same time it then kind of change that curve changes to where now everybody has to change what they're doing because everyone knows what the optimal strategies are so you kind of have to circumvent that somehow you see it in that, all kinds of upper level play that that ultimately comes back around to the question of you know is the game solved uh mm-hmm. tic-tac-toe you know it's it's easily solved. Like we, we, I know all the po- possibilities. I know all the moves. Uh, checkers, there is a solution for. Uh, you know, if you go memorize it, um, it has a fixed outcome. It doesn't matter. You know, there there's mm-hmm. it, it's solved. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, chess does not have a solution. There are many many things so that we know that like these are the openings that are smart to do. These are moves that like there are many times. And you know, if, if you're playing against a chess computer, they can say that move was a mistake, and it's a mistake because. Objectively, in all situations, what you did there was the wrong thing to do, mm-hmm. um, and, and and that becomes a thing with a lot of these other games. Like you know, how much of you know of of scythe is solved, how much of it is deterministic. Mm-hmm. I think having larger player counts often can help a lot with those because if you have four other players who can now inter- interfere with your solution and know, okay, mm-hmm. you know, yes, yeah, so if nobody interferes with them, this is what's going to happen. Mm-hmm. Now all four of us are going to get in your face. Totally changes you know, the dynamic. games are, are, are much more susceptible to that kind of a, of, of a solution. Um, that becomes a thing with like computer games, like you know, StarCraft. One of the things that made it a good competitive, oh uh, yeah, you know, oh yeah, thing was nice realizing, language. you know, let's say, I mean, for for for, for you know, at various at various eras, there oh yeah, this strategy with this faction is just unbeatable, and then someone figures out, no, actually, it can be beaten. This is what you have to do to do it, and. At this point, like if you play any of those kind of things, and someone knows one of these "quote unquote" unbeatable strategies, and you don't know the counter, you're getting destroyed. Mm-hmm. But you have, you know, but the but the meta has reached a point that no, like I know if I see you doing this or that, this is how I have to counter you. Mm-hmm. Well, and, and to, so... to the extent to which that that becomes, you know, I mean, in these complexities of things, like Sarah doesn't want to go out there and memorize all five counters to. You know the Sarball uh, building up a, a, an, an unbreakable force, and have to have to know that well. If if a Sar player is doing this and that, then this is what everybody else at the table has to do to stop them. That's not going to be a fun game for Sarah to play at that point. Yeah, right. No, right. I know large concepts, <laughs> and I create my own stories <laughs> in between. Like in that, I I don't want to know what the best thing is. I don't want to know what all the things that they could be. Like I'm not playing other people's games. Well, see, game, games also, game. yeah, exactly, and and games try to get around that as well by introducing luck. So right. that's where that's why you know in in almost every good game there is a there is a small level of luck and sometimes larger level of luck. Like for example, Spirit Island in on purpose introduced events. Events were not originally in the game. And in the expansion they introduced events because they needed the variability because otherwise it could be much more of a solved puzzle uh if you if you didn't have these random events. And and so TI also a lot of randomness is everywhere in that game, depending on the action cards that you draw, the secrets that you draw, the planets that you you know, the planet exploration cards that you draw. So the agendas. Oh my the agendas. god. The agendas. The yeah, agendas so, can throw everything off. Mm-hmm. And and that's why many games do have that luck component because I mean even in Scythe overall there is a luck component with like when you're doing the explorations you you know there's random explorers that you could pull up and that will vary whether you get a resource or a building or whatever but overall a lot of the optimized strategies just ignore those entirely 
Um, exactly. or, or they can work off of basically whatever is there because there's usually a, a fairly limited pool of options. And based on what's there, they then just tweak the strategy by this, and then you still end up in the same, same spot relatively. So the, a lot of games try and get around that with luck, which maybe is a, uh, maybe an interesting topic for another time because it, that, luck is a huge uh, component to many games now because of this ability to sometimes solve games. Yeah. Well, okay, so we're we're getting close to a long long episode. So, we'll we'll try to wrap it up. I think my two takeaways here, one, games are so diverse in complexity, low to high, different ways that they manage that complexity, different types of complexity, rules complexity versus solutions and decision complexity. So, you can have a simple game on paper that's actually very hard. To, to strategize, or you could have a game that's really, really hard to know the rules to, but there's one optimal solution. Uh, and the other takeaway here is game designers are like probably crazy wild, smart people. <laughs> <laughs> to be able to yes. balance all of these things. Mm -hmm. I, I think the fundamental takeaway uh, from this is really, you know, again, that anyone who disagrees with Tim about how complex the game should be is, is just wrong. Yeah, I mean, that that <laughs> is the takeaway. So uh, if there's any listeners who disagree, you can just you can log out now, unstar the podcast because um, you're wrong and we don't want you. So. All right, Tim but. the Alienator. We So <laughs> this is our, the first episode back from our holiday break. We've got some more awesome, awesome things coming up in the next couple weeks. You know, we've got a continuation of our rundown of the Board Game Geek Top 100. We only made it through, I think, the 80s this last mm -hmm. couple episodes. So we'll have a few more of those for you. We'll have some more, maybe a guest or two. You'll hear about the... We have a potential uh, celebrity influencer guest that uh, we might have in uh, in in, in uh, next few episodes here at some point. We'll have to figure out time frames on things on that. So, um, but uh, yeah, you know, big 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 names. Uh, yeah. Yeah, this is what happened. New 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 year, new new us. All right, we've got all kinds of shit lined up. In the meantime, we've got a Twilight Imperium game coming up in the next couple weeks. So I'm sure y'all will hear about that when we're <laughs> back from the table. Yep, we do it every uh, every few months, or at least I try to. So, my body's ready. Yeah, definitely. Uh, <laughs> body's ready. What? That's weird. You never heard that phrase? No, not in that context. <laughs> oh yeah, give it. Give me. No, that you're making ball, it. You're making oh, it worse. Yeah. You're making it worse. All right. De so we'll definitely encourage uh, people out there to you know uh, like and share and, and things and review. Uh, we're we're up over uh, over four hundred uh, uh, you know listeners and what, yeah, aiming for uh, aiming for the stars here. So you know, um, I, you know, I don't, it definitely uh, definitely a lot of people enjoying this stuff. And uh, if you tell your friends to uh, to listen. Uh, Hopefully they won't think you're uh, you're you're uh, you're a weirdo who uh, likes uh, goofy things. Uh, people people actually are liking this. So, oh, that's uh, definitely the case. You play board it. games. You're a weirdo. That's fine. Yeah, I mean people you're think you're here. weird. You know, it's fine. Yeah, what people think of that's you true. is none of your business. <laughs> I mean, yeah. just listen yeah, to us. We're weirdos. So I'm saying, you know, share share this with your uh, your other weird board gaming friends and. Uh, let them uh, let them hear uh, uh, good advice on how complex of a game they ought to be playing. That's right. Make sure they play the right complexity game, okay? There is a correct <laughs> answer. We've assessed this. 
It's right, somewhere in, in the giant 120 hour, you know, podcast that you've listened to. Yep. We go, will go back and re-listen to all the episodes again if you don't remember it. Um, start from the beginning and, uh, and work your way through. You'll figure that's it out. Always, it's in there. That's always a great idea. Listen to our whole catalog again. All right. We're going to wrap this up. We'll see you guys next time. Woo! Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye. Bye.